Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Paul writes, For he that is Christ, he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So, of course, this is a larger section, really, I think, you could, you could really look at verses 11 through 22 as one main point, but uh, I think it's good to kind of break it down and look at it in three sections just to kind of drill a little deeper than we normally would if we were to look at it all at once. Uh, but last time we looked at verses 11 through 13, and this, this idea of being brought near, where Paul begins to, in this part of the letter, talk about his Gentile readers what their state was before coming to Christ, how they were alienated, how they were strangers, how they were outside of the commonwealth of Israel, how they were called the uncircumcision by those who are the the circumcision, how they were without Christ and without hope in this world. That's the the idea. But then he he finishes that idea at at the end in verse 13 by saying, but you who are far off have been brought near. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the argument he's going to be making is going to, again, it's going to conclude in verses 19 through 22, where he's going to talk about the church, the body of Christ, as a temple. He's using temple language. We are a holy temple unto the Lord with the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Christ the cornerstone. That is what Jesus is doing with the church. He is building us up together, and he is taking Jews and Gentiles and bringing them together into one new man. That's what we're going to see uh, this morning. But he talks in the last section about the sorry state of the Gentiles, how they, how they were far off, how they were alienated. And we looked at how in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, um, the people of God were contained in the nation of Israel. And by and large, it was a mostly Jewish population. You had some Gentiles that would come in, some Gentiles that were sort of allowed in. Um, you could become a proselyte, and that would, take a pro- that would be a process, but you would have to become a Jew. Uh, you couldn't just re- retain your, your Gentile uh, identity. Uh, we know this is the case because we have examples. You have, Rah- uh, you have Rahab was brought in. You have um, uh, Ruth, or yeah, Ruth was brought in. The genealogy of Jesus contains some names of Gentiles in it. Uh, but by and large, it was... A, a covenant community that was, in a sense, exclusive. By exclusive, I mean you couldn't just join it. You had to do something to become a Jew. But now he says in Christ, those who were far off, those who were alienated at one time, who were strangers, are now being brought near. And we're going to see how that plays out uh, in this passage um, this morning. So as we look at verses 14 through 18, we're going to see that the far off and the near... The Gentiles and the Jews are being brought together. They're being brought together um, as everything that has divided the people of God of old has now been 
abolished, has been uh, broken down, has been uh, done away with, and is now uh, you are seeing the two being brought together into one new man. So uh, really the theme of these verses this morning is Jew and Gentiles are united in one new man in Christ who is our peace. He is our peace. Uh, and that's kind of how I've broken out the, uh, the passage here. So you've got Christ is our peace, Christ is our reconciliation, and Christ is our access. Um, he is all three of those things, and that's brought out in this passage. It's interesting, I keep marveling. I probably shouldn't marvel at this, but <laughs> I keep marveling over the providence of God in the sense, because I don't plan these things to coincide, but um, the passage we're looking at here right now and the passage we're going to look at in the sermon this morning has a theme of peace. Okay, It would be nice if I, I could take credit and say, yeah, I planned this out to work out this way. But in the passage that we're going to look at this morning in John's Gospel, Jesus appears to the disciples and three times in that passage he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Right? And, and then he commissions them to go out and um, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I sent you. So, and again, here you have this theme of Christ is our peace. He is the one who is bringing together uh, these two disparate groups into one new man. So you could say, wow, that, that you planned that well. Or you could just say it's just a happy providence of God that these things worked out the way they do, which is that I'll go with that one because I'm not that clever. But anyway, first let's look at Christ our peace, verses 14 through 15. For he himself, again Christ, is our peace, and has made both, that is Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having, broke, uh, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So peace is mentioned twice. It kind of bookends these two verses. He is our peace, and he makes peace. And that's what we're going to see here. Christ is our peace. So again, connecting with what we saw before in verses 11 through 13, how can those who are far off be brought near? How can Gentiles be combined into a new body that Christ is building? Well, it's by the blood of Christ. We saw that last time. They are brought near by the blood of Christ. And then here in this passage, he's, uh, Paul says, for he himself is our peace, is our peace. Again, in Greek, that's the word irene. If you know anybody named Irene or any, any combination of like, that, that, that's a derivation of the Greek word irene, which means peace. Uh, we know this from Isaiah 9, right? Uh, the prophet there calls Christ, speaking prophetically of Christ, he is a prince of peace. And in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet there in Ezekiel 34 talks about peace in verses 24 and 25, where there he says, And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them. And cause wild beasts to cease from the land, and they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Now, of course, this is written well long after the time of David's life. So when he says, my servant David, Ezekiel is referring to the one who will come, the greater son of David, Jesus Christ, who will bring peace. He is the bringer of peace. 
And peace, of course, implies enmity. In other words, if you're bringing peace, there must have been some kind of animosity between the two groups at one point, right? And that is, we see that, uh, you know, of course, brought up explicitly in verse 15, right? Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the enmity that existed between Jew and Gentile. Was there enmity between Jew and Gentile? Yeah, you bet. <laughs> you bet there was. Uh, Jews looked at everyone else in the world, regardless of what, what nation, what language they spoke, they just referred to them as the goyim, the nations, the others. You're the, you're the outsiders. You're the ones who are not part of Israel. Right? Of course, it wasn't like the, you know, the outside world looked favorably on the Jews too. Right? The Greeks would call them barbarians. If you're not a Greek... You are a barbarian, right? It's just, that's just common, right? If, you are, if you've got a group and you've got a sort of like there's some kind of homogeneity in the group, you look to anyone outside of the group and say, well, you're not of us. You're the other. So you had Jews uh, looking down their nose at Gentiles and vice versa. So peace here, though, Jesus is, or Paul is saying here that he is bringing peace. He is making both one. Paul here tells us that Christ has made both one, one, Jew and Gentile. He is bringing them together. So the church is not a, an afterthought. The church is not a parenthesis in God's plan. It is God's plan. The plan was always to make both one. The plan was always to bring the two together, to, to bring this message of salvation to all the world. We're going to look at this later, but I'll you know, bring this up now. Right Again, the promise of Genesis 12.3 to Abram was that you, in you the families of the earth will be blessed. And it's not a coincidence that in the previous chapter, right, we see, or two chapters before, that all of the nations are separated by their, uh, by their languages, by their families, right? All the families of the earth will be blessed, nations and tongues. So the promise to Abram was that he would be a blessing through Christ to uh, all the nations. Isaiah 19 uh, speaks of this. And Isaiah 19. 18 through 25. Here the prophet writes, In that day five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear by the Lord of hosts. One will be called the city of destruction. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord in its border. And it will be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they will cry to the Lord because of oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a mighty one, and he will deliver them. Then the Lord will be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, and will make sacrifice and offerings. Yes, they will make a vow to the Lord to perform it. And the Lord will strike Egypt, he will strike and heal it. They will return to the Lord, and he will be entreated by them and heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands. 
and Israel my inheritance. He's foretelling a time here where the nations will come and will worship the Lord, right? We know this as well in other places in Isaiah when all the nations will come to the mount of the Lord and will, you know, this is this great reconciliation that, that uh, Paul is uh, referring to here. Uh, we know this from John's gospel too. If you remember in John chapter 10, when Jesus talks about being the great shepherd, he talks about how he knows his sheep, he calls them by name. And then in chapter 10, verse 16, he says, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is speaking here of the Gentiles, who will hear the message that the apostles, whom he will send out, will bring to the world, right? That's the whole message of the book of Acts is the, the gospel going out to the reaches, the farthest reaches of the world, to the ends of the world. That was the plan. That's what Jesus told the disciples. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He has other sheep that he will call who are not of this fold. Um, and then, of course, in Galatians 3.28, we've seen that too, right? In Christ, there's no male or female. There's no... Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. We're all one in Christ. Christ is bringing us all together. So it's not Jew, then Gentile, then Jew. It's Israel, which is largely Jewish, then the church, which is a combination of Jews and Gentiles, the body of Christ. That's what Christ is building here. That's what Paul is speaking of here. And this is accomplished by Christ, who, as we see here, and you know, you got this kind of interesting turn of phrase in verses 14 and 15. He has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. What is going on here? Uh, other translations, if you have an ESV or an NIV or a Christian Standard Bible, instead of middle wall separation, you might have dividing wall of hostility. This is a reference to the temple, the temple in Jerusalem in that day. And in that, in that day, there was a court of the Gentiles, and there was a wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from where the Jews can go and worship. And in fact, there was uh, told that there was an inscription on the wall which read, No outsider is allowed to enter within the barrier surrounding the sanctuary on pain of death. <laughs> Right? No Gentiles allowed. Right? Think of it when you're, you know, if you're a young boy and you're, uh, you had a treehouse, no girls allowed. Right? You'd have that sign on the outside of your treehouse. No girls allowed. Right? It's the same thing. No Gentiles allowed. There was a wall that separated them. Now, Paul isn't saying that that wall was separated, but he's saying, figuratively speaking, that wall which exists literally in the temple in Jerusalem is a dividing wall. It separated Jew from Gentile. And what Paul is saying is Christ has broken that down. In Christ, he has broken that down. It's like the walls of Jericho falling down, right? Jesus breaks down that wall. He abolishes it. He breaks it down. He is our peace. He has broken down. That word luo means to destroy uh, by abolishing in his flesh. That word abolish means to annul, to make void. We saw that in Gen uh, sorry, Galatians 3.17 where Paul there uses the word to say that the 
law does not annul the promises that were made 430 years before. Well, here Jesus annuls. How does he annul the law? He fulfills it, right? This idea of commandments contained in ordinances is a reference to the Mosaic law. Jesus fulfills the Mosaic law. Jesus fulfills and satisfies the covenant of works in his flesh. Why? Because he has lived a perfect life according to every point of the law. He satisfied all righteousness. So he comes and he fulfills the Mosaic law. He abolishes or makes a null that that record or commandments of ordinances. He breaks down the separating wall, thus allowing the two to mingle. The two can now mingle together. The Mosaic law has always stood as a barrier for the Gentiles because in order, as we said earlier, in order for Gentiles to become Jews, they had to what? They had to come under the law. Right? You had to fulfill all of the regulations and stipulations if you wanted to be Jewish and for the males that required circumcision and so on and so forth. You had to come under the law. But Jesus does away with all this by fulfilling the law and thus that wall of separation has now been destroyed. Peace is made and now the two can be one new man in the Greek. Hena, kainon, anthropon. One new. And that new is more it's not like you know, new referring to time. It's new referring to quality. We are a new man. A new man. The wall separating Jew and Gentile has been abolished. Now, does that mean we don't put up walls? <laughs> what do you think? Do we still put up walls? How about reformed versus non-reformed? Do you think that's a wall? <laughs> do you think it can serve as a wall at times? You're not reformed. You don't believe like I do. Or Lutheran versus every... Just pick, pick anything that Christians divide on. Right? And we divide on a lot of things. Think of anything. It's like we can turn that into a wall. Uh, and I think the point Paul is saying here is that we should not put up these walls. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to deny or, or lessen the fact that, you know, we should have convictions about what we believe. We should, right? We should be convinced by the word of God what we believe. And we're going to disagree because we're all fallen human beings. We're going to come to different conclusions. And that's fine. That's fine. But it doesn't mean that we should separate as Christians necessarily, there's going to be some things that, yeah, you're probably not going to worship with people who believe certain things differently. Okay, I, I understand that. But it doesn't mean, I think there should be more unity even within the reform circles uh, than there currently is. I mean, you've got denominations that, we are a denomination, what is the only thing that's distinctive about us? Well, we believe our women should wear head coverings. There is one that says that. It's like, really? That's, that's your dividing point? It's no, it's no surprise that they're like, you know, it's basically one church family. You know, it's like, you know, pretty soon you get the church of one at some point, right? If you keep going down, if you're expecting everyone to agree with you 100%. The wall separating Jew and Gentile, and that's a big distinction, right? It doesn't get much bigger than Jew and Gentile. That was a big distinction. That has been broken down. And we should try to resist putting up walls of separation in our churches as well. Let's move on to Christ, our reconciliation, verses 16 and 17. Kind of in the middle of a sentence there. So he has made uh, one new man from the two, thus making peace, verse 16, 
and that, that's the purpose, he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. So he's our reconciliation. Christ is our peace. He abolishes the code that stands between Jew and Gentile. He breaks down the wall that stands between Jew and Gentile, making peace. And now he is our reconciliation. The person and work of Christ here accomplishes two purposes, making peace and now reconciliation. That word there, and I was trying to practice it in the Greek. Apokatalasso. Say that ten times fast. It means to reconcile, to reconcile completely. Um, the only other time it's used in the New Testament is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It's used twice. So in Colossians chapter 1, uh, and by him, that is Christ, to reconcile, there's that word, all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace, there's that same thought that he carries over from Ephesians, through his blood on the cross, and you who were once alienated and enemies, there's that again, carrying that thought from Ephesians, in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Reconciliation, it's, it's, it's to uh, sort of bring two parties together in, a, in an agreement of peace. Now here, the reconciliation isn't between Jew and Gentile, it's between both and God. <laughs> right? So we've got a horizontal and a vertical thing going on here. He makes peace between Jew and Gentile, that's horizontal, but then he reconciles us with God. That's the vertical dimension of this. He reconciles both Jew and Gentile to God in one body. So not only are Jews and Gentiles reconciled to one another, they are both reconciled to God. Why? Both are sinners. That's Paul's point in Romans, right? He, he hammers the Gentiles in chapter 1, and then he gets into chapter 2 and says, you Jews are not exempt from this. And then when he gets to chapter 3, he says, all have sinned. How many have sinned? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.10, we, we were at one time enemies, all of us, Jew and Gentile. And then in 2 Corinthians, he talks about how we are now ambassadors, bringing that message of peace to others. In 2 Corinthians 5, he there writes in verses 18 through 21, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So, we are reconciled, and now we have been given this, this ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the word, world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And now then he calls us ambassadors. I, I love that description of Christians. That's one of my favorite descriptions of Christians. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
So we have been reconciled, and now we are to go out and bring this reconciliation to others. And again, this reconciliation takes place in one body through the cross. That one body is the church. That's what Paul's referring to here in these verses. This is the mystery. I mentioned this last week. This is the mystery that we see that he's going to reveal in chapter uh, 3 that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. That's verse 6. And then he says in verse 7, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. God called Paul to be an ambassador, to be a missionary primarily to the Gentiles. right? And then he brings this message of reconciliation bringing them into the church. Now, he always went to the Jews first, right? Because those were his countrymen. But oftentimes, the Jews would reject him, either mostly or completely. Uh, And then he would say, okay, then I'm bringing this message now to the Gentiles. They will hear. That's the whole point that he makes in Romans 11. He says, uh, you know, this, this period of time is a period of time in which the Jews are undergoing a hardening a judicial hardening for their rejection of Christ. And this, uh, the gospel going forth into the Gentiles is meant to sort of draw them in by saying, you know, in a, in a sense, jealously. <laughs> it's like they're to look and say, God is now going to the Gentiles, and, and it's to draw them in. Um, so you've got this, this uh, reconciliation going out here. Uh, the church is the culmination of God's plan of redemption. It is the fulfillment, as I mentioned earlier, of the promise made to Abraham in uh, Genesis 12, verse 3, and also in Galatians uh, 3, verses 13 and 14. Uh, there, Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What was the blessing of Abraham? That God would bless the nations through him, through the coming of Messiah. That is the promise of Messiah being foretold in Abram, that his seed would be the one in whom all the blessings would be. It's the answer to Babel, right? What happened at Babel? Man decided they wanted to... Uh, figure out if they can ascend to heaven on their own. God disperses them. Well, the reconciliation that comes through Christ brings those who are far off, brings them near. In other words, you're not going to get to God on your own. God will bring you together. He will gather you together in one body. It's what you see in Acts 2, right? You know, We've looked at this uh, in reference to um, Babel as well, where the languages have been um, undone, but you've got people from, mostly Jewish people because they're gathered for Pentecost, but you've got people from every nation, quote-unquote, of, of the world where Jews have been scattered because they're gathered there for this, this um, mandatory festival. And at the end of that sermon, Peter there says, in verses 38 and 39, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise made to Abraham way back, is to you and your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. 
the enmity that has been put to death by Christ, that enmity has been put to death on the cross. It is, uh, when Christ died on the cross, that enmity was destroyed. He, he then uh, not only makes atonement uh, between us and God, but also reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. Then in verse 17, we see he, he came and he preached peace. That word preached, Yuan Galizo, evangelized. He evangelized. <laughs> he went out and evangelized peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. He preaches peace. The message of Christ after the cross is one of peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. The message of the kingdom of God is that Christ has come into the world to reconcile the world to God and to bring peace. Right? You can look at the Gospels and see whenever Jesus went out, he goes out and he says, he preached the message of the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he refers to Old Testament passages in which uh, you know, he talks about how the, the captives will be set free and the blind will be given sight. This is the message we are now bringing to the world. I mentioned 2 Corinthians 5.20. It's the message of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of Christ and we are then to go out into the world and say to them, be reconciled to God. Thus, the message of the church is not make America great again. The message of the church is not build back better. The message of the church is not let's reclaim the culture. The message of the church is not come out and let's be separate. Right? We're not to be separatists, building our own little sort of Christian communities where all we do is read Christian books and listen to Christian music and watch Christian movies and, 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 and only interact with Christians, and that's all we do. We're not to make a bubble society. We're not to go out and try to transform the society into a Christian nation. It's not about political parties. It's none of that thing. The church has a message to bring, and it's none of those things. It is a message of reconciliation. It is a message of be reconciled to God. It is a message about peace and reconciliation. It's about restoring what was lost in the fall. What was lost in the fall? Communion with God. Right? Adam sinned, and then what did he do? He hid from God. Why? Because he was ashamed about what he had done. He felt shame about the fact that he was going to get caught. So he hides from God. And what does God do? He expels him from his garden. Not because God is a harsh God, because God cannot dwell in sin. God cannot dwell with sin. Adam was expelled. But the good news is that that is not the end of the story. Right? God is working reconciliation all through the Old Testament to now. So when you get to Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, Christ was born of woman born under the law in order to bring peace and reconciliation to the world. It's a restoration of the shalom that was lost at the fall. Finally, Christ is our access, verse 18. For through him, that is Christ, we both, that is Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. Of course, when Paul there says we both, he's again referring to Jew and Gentile. Access to the Father is always and forever through Christ. Christ gives us access. We're going to see this in verse 12 of chapter 3. In whom? In Christ. We have boldness 
and access with confidence through faith in him. Looking back again in John chapter 10, that great, great shepherd, the great, great shepherd, the wonderful great shepherd discourse. Jesus says there, I am the door of the sheep. What does the door provide? Access. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Uh, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. And it's not just that he is the road map. He is the way in the sense that uh, we see in uh, Hebrews 10. Um, I love this connection that the writer to Hebrews makes in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, where there the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter, again, access, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, this is the culmination of the author's argument about Christ uh, being a better priest, serving in a better temple, offering a better sacrifice. So now we have access to enter the holiest. We can go now into the Holy of Holies, right? Who could only go into the Holy of Holies? It was the high priest once a year after doing all kinds of rituals to get there. Now we can go in because we're covered by the blood of Christ. And it says here in verse 20, By a new and living way, I am the way, the truth, and the life, which he consecrated us through the veil that is his flesh. When that veil in the temple was torn at the crucifixion of Christ, the author is making a connection here. says that veil was Christ. In a sense, he was being torn, broken on the cross, so that we now have access. We have access through him to the Father by one spirit. That access is by means of the spirit. Christ brings peace and reconciliation, and then he sends his spirit. Again, that's another connection we're going to see in our sermon text this morning where uh, Jesus symbolically breathes on his disciples and commissions them and says, thus here receive the Holy Spirit. We have means by the one spirit uh, to then go and indwell, right? That's you know, Christ brings peace and reconciliation and sends his spirit. It is by means of this indwelling spirit that we now have access uh, to the Father. We are one body by the Spirit. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, Romans 8 talks a lot about the Spirit. How in Romans 8.15, it is by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And later on, verses 26 and 7, likewise the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Note here the Trinitarian work, right? We have access to the Father because of the blood of Christ by means of the Spirit. You've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Again, all working together here to accomplish the plan of redemption. 
that access to the Father that was lost at Eden has now been restored by Christ in a, you know, we call it an already not yet, right? The already not yet. What do I mean by that? Well, we receive a lot of the benefits of our full salvation now, but there's other things that are, will be fully consummated. What do I mean by that? Well, consider what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, where he says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 3.18. There Paul says, but we all with unveiled face. What does that mean? Read the earlier parts of chapter 3. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So as we are, in a sense, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same glory, uh, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, we are being transformed, and then uh, when Christ returns, what is that work that he is doing in us will be Completed. Again, you know, chapter 5, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians. We walk by faith now, but we will walk by sight then. And then one final passage in 1 John chapter 3. You want the already, not yet, it's here in this verse. Chapter 3, verse 2 of 1 John. Beloved, now we are children of God. That's the already. We are children of God. We've been adopted by Him. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The promised inheritance is, is guaranteed. The Spirit is that down payment. Now we are children of God. And it is not yet, there's not yet, been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That is the blessed hope of the eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth, where we will behold Christ, if you will, face to face. That is the not yet. But that is the access that we now have already because of Christ, what he has done on the cross, bringing reconciliation. So, again, as we bring this to a close, uh, the glory of Christ in the life of the church is seen in how Jew and Gentile are made into one new man in Christ. He is our peace. He is our reconciliation. He is our access to the Father. Now, the sin that we commit, that is what brings the enmity. That is what brings the separation. Even when God gave Israel the law, they used it to separate themselves from the rest of the world. And that same temptation, again, lies within each one of us. Grace can be used to cause separation through various means. We can still build those walls up. And we need to resist building those walls up. We certainly want to discriminate between truth and error. We certainly want to discriminate between uh, orthodoxy and heresy. But we don't need to build walls up in order to keep people out of our community just because they're different. Christ has brought peace and reconciliation and access through his atoning work on the cross. Christ came to abolish separation based on man-made rules and traditions. And Christ came to make one new man, which is his body, the church. 
Christ has done the work and he has ascended now to the right hand of the Father in glory. And now we are his ambassadors, as I like to keep calling to your attention. We are his ambassadors bringing that very same message of peace to a world that so desperately needs peace. Right? We are always looking for peace and we're never going to find it until we find our peace in Christ. We are looking for peace. We need to bring peace to those who are far off and those who are near. Right? Those who are far off and those who are near. The peace or the shalom that was lost at the fall is restored in Christ and will be consummated at his return in glory. I'll stop here next time, Lord willing, on the first. We're going to finish chapter 2, verses 19 through 22.